Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. Never before have so many people rallied around a common cause. We all have a role to play, and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investments, learning, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I co-lead a climate venturing practice at the design firm IDEO, supporting early-stage climate founders and organizations. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and have realized that when it comes to climate action, I'll be a lifelong learner looking for the best ways to have a climate-positive impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you found us. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Find episodes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. Thanks for joining. We believe we are talking about a transformation of the world economy and the way our systems work at a scale which is unprecedented in human history and in a compressed time frame that has never been attempted before literally a third to a half of the world's GDP, changing the way we do things from energy, agriculture, transportation, even horizontals like finance. And to one of the very important aspects of this uh, transformation is going to be people. And what that means is that we would need something that looks like a third to a half of the world's working population working on climate solutions. Imagine a time when decarbonizing the economy and protecting the planet are such mainstream priorities so central to our collective focus that half of all jobs require climate change expertise? That's the world envisioned by Kamal Kapadia and Anshuman Bapna. They're the founders of a startup called Terra, which offers education and community for the fast-growing climate workforce. People everywhere are looking to address the climate crisis through their work, either by building careers in climate tech companies or considering the new opportunities and challenges climate change brings to roles in all sectors. Terra helps folks learn and connect with others to do more to address climate change through their work. Kamal and Anshman have great insights to the explosion in climate work, and if you're curious how you might contribute to this historic effort through your career, this episode is for you. Here we go. I am so pleased to welcome Anshuman and Kamal from Terra. They are friends and entrepreneurs doing great work in the climate tech space. Welcome Anshuman and Kamal. Thank you, Jason. Glad to be here. Thank you, Jason. Very pleased to have you both. Welcome to Invested in Climate. Very excited for our conversation today. So why don't we start by just by getting to know you a little bit um, and first maybe just hear a bit about your backgrounds and how you got involved in working on climate change. Let's start with Kamal. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, sure. I guess I've sort of been an environmentalist since high school days, uh, but I actually had to leave India and I went to the UK to get a master's in environmental change and management. And at that time, this was the year of the Kyoto Protocol, 1997. So it was the first time I actually heard about climate change. And the other big thing I learned, I had to leave the country and go abroad to learn that there were 2 billion people in the world who lacked access to electricity. And even though this was going on in my own backyard in India, I didn't know this fact. The number has come down since, which is actually a bit of a success story. But um, so, and I also learned that you could provide, you know, distributed solar 
as a way of getting people access to electricity. So I got very interested in solar energy, less because of climate at the time and more because it seemed like this great development tool for rural development. Um, and then I ended up actually working in that sector as well. So that's sort of how I got into climate. Fantastic. Thanks, Kamal. Anshuman, what about you? Mine is a much more recent story and there's a bit of a the zeal of the newly converted uh, in my case. So I had been literally unaware, been a tech entrepreneur all my life, started multiple companies. And then uh, 2016 was, I think, a formative year for me where it started to dawn on me that this thing that I had taken for granted, that the world would be a better place for our kids, was not exactly obvious and, and a done deal. It happened everything with with Trump to Brexit to the Great Barrier Reef seeing its first uh, massive coral bleaching event. And that set me down this path. And then about two years ago, classic midlife crisis decided to stop everything that I was doing and start focusing on this in a major way and uh, fell through the rabbit hole. I'm not sure if it's the classic midlife crisis, but seemingly a common one these days. So the two of you are working together as founders of Terra. What is Terra? What problems are you trying to solve? The fundamental problem that we're trying to solve is that we believe we are talking about a transformation of the world economy and the way our systems work at a scale which is unprecedented in human history and in a compressed time frame that has never been attempted before. Literally a third to a half of the world's GDP changing the way we do things from energy, agriculture, transportation, even horizontals like finance. And to one of the very important aspects of this uh, transformation is going to be people. And what that means is that we would need something that looks like a third to a half the world's working population working on climate solutions. And we are way, way, way far from that. We are maybe two orders, even three orders of magnitude away from that happening. So the way we think of Terra is a ramp that allows eventually 100 million people to start working in climate. Maybe uh, another way to look at it is to say Terra is trying to build a global platform for working in climate by combining learning, jobs, and community all in one place. Wow, fantastic. I think it's worth pausing and just reflecting on the magnitude of the movement that you're describing. You said a third to a half of working people working on climate. Do you get a sense of the bubbling up of that movement already? Yes, we do. Just like the future is already here, but it's unevenly distributed. I see it happening in a couple of very uh, uh, extreme ways already. So on one end, we have Silicon Valley, uh, we have venture capital. Last year, 2021, climate was the second largest venture capital category in the US. And this is not even talking about SPACs and all the public market investor enthusiasm that we saw on one side. On the other side, we also see millions of people now facing the reality of climate adaptation or the lack of it, staring in their daily lives on a regular basis across countries as diverse as Bangladesh and Argentina. So to us, it feels like this movement has uh, well begun already. And you can see that seeping in both with millions of kids protesting on the streets across all the large cities of the world, but also the top financiers getting together at COP26 and promising 
100 plus trillion dollars in capital eventually flowing into climate. So we think this is already beginning to burgeon in a major way. I think we also see it in the types of people who are showing up in our programs. I mean, just like an incredible diversity of people. Certainly when I started, like, it didn't feel like there was necess- in climate, didn't feel like there was necessarily a marketing job in climate. But now uh, there's a job, there's pretty much every skill is necessary and people see the opportunities as well. And they are, you know, trying to figure out how they can sort of make this transition when they come into our programs. Yeah, thanks, Mal. You know, Anshman's the new guy to the space. So I'm really curious about your perspective, having worked in climate, uh, like you said, since you were in high school. How have you seen the movement change? I think actually Anshman touched on it quite well. Like, I think, first of all, who is represented in the movement has really changed. And just as he, like, I, I think like 20 years ago, it was still seen a little bit more like as an activist space. And there was, yes, there was this like small startup ecosystem. Solar companies were these like marginal players, you know, and now everybody's in the movement. And so everybody from financiers to big companies, like big solar companies, small startups, activists, people who work in the field of development, governments, everybody is is part of this movement, I'd say. So there's a great diversity in, first of all, who's represented. The second thing is I think there's also a real shift in what tactics people are using precisely because so many different players are represented. So people in finance are thinking, okay, how do we rethink the flows of capital? You know, people in activism have also gotten much more strategic Say solar companies, I feel, have a lot more lobbying power now because they're bigger players as well. And so in renewable energy companies, and so they're more effective at lobbying, lobbying for government policy. So that there's like who's represented, the types of tactics, and then sort of the solutions area has also shifted a lot. So things that previously were maybe considered quite marginal or weren't even on the table, like carbon removal now is becoming a really sort of mainstream idea. And one way we're seeing people sort of coming together around certain solutions. So it used to be, say, even 10 years ago, there was a diversity of ideas around transport. There were questions like, oh, should it be biofuel? Should it be hydrogen? Should it be electrification? And now we know, like, okay, everyone's like, it's going to be, yes, we've got to design better cities, but we also got to do electrification of transport. So I feel like there's more coalescing around certain solution areas that maybe we didn't quite have that clarity before. Yeah, that's interesting because we think about both the size and the diversity of the climate movement growing. There's more opportunity for disconnect or just for speaking different languages or talking past each other. I'm curious, are you seeing anything work for helping, oh, that range of people and the range of fields and disciplines speak the same language and find ways to collaborate? Well, our courses for one (laughs) Um, and our other programs, there is more openness in terms of like who is considered part of the movement. Anybody at this point... People should not be, the whole point is everyone needs to be in this. And yes, of course, there are points of disagreement, like the very fundamental points of disagreement, right? Like, uh, so for example, carbon markets, like it can be sort of considered somewhat like some people think, yes, definitely. Other people say definitely no. But to me, that's just like a healthy conversation. So I don't see that as, especially if people can just have reasonable conversations and just keep shifting policy and trying new things. It's good to have some disagreement and be pulling, you know, as long as, we're generally moving in the right direction. And the main indicator is like what's happening with emissions, what's happening with carbon dioxide uh, concentrations, greenhouse gas concentrations, and are we able to really shift them? As someone new to the space, right, uh, my original entry point would have been through some story, some narrative that I heard somewhere that caught my attention. If I have to look at what the common language is, I'll go immediately to look for people who are great at telling stories and narratives. And to me, those are 
filmmakers or media in general and entertainment on one side and politicians on the other side. So if you look at uh, what media has been, for example, talking about, increasingly is climate as a crisis, climate as this potentially um, something that will usher potentially a dystopian future. And while I think that's fantastic in terms of getting everyone worrying about the problem at the right level of urgency and scale, but that could easily leave you despondent as well. So there is this whole question about solutions. And what I really admire about uh, the second set of uh, narrative uh, makers and storytellers, which is politicians, is that very few of them get it right. But I think the US is a great example of where somehow magically in the past 48 months or so, climate equal to jobs is this narrative which has begun to, to stick. So much so that you have Everything like you have essentially political entrepreneurs like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez who are hitching their wagon to this narrative and successfully so, therefore creating the next set of political entrepreneurs and so on. So I find that really powerful, and I don't think that's the narrative that will work for every country. There'll be a different one that everyone will have to find something that is kind of natural to them. But I think U.S. has demonstrated a pretty powerful example of what that could look like. It's thrilling to hear such a positive review of our political states in the United States. So <laughs> thanks for that. Let's turn from this because I think that engagement through media is one thing by receiving storytelling and then trying to figure out what to do with it. And engagement from being part of an active, supportive, collaborative community is very different. And that is part of what you're building at Terra. So I'm curious, how's it going? Uh, all of this interest and bubbling up of momentum, is it translating into opportunity? And are you seeing the level of interest that you, that you were hoping for? Yeah, maybe I'll take a stab at it at two levels. One is in the sense of starting a company which, is, which has all the constraints that come from uh, the reality of making it a successful business and so on. And the second one is more along the lines of starting what might be a bit of a movement, uh, which is as much social in nature as business. On the company side, I think uh, I have started enough companies to know that the most important thing is timing. And for the once in my life, I feel I can pat myself on the back. I'm frankly just being lucky that it feels like the timing is right for what we're trying to do. It feels like a lot of uh, forces in the zeitgeist have converged to make climate not just a problem that we want to solve, but also an opportunity to involve all kinds of interested parties. I feel happy about timing, and that's literally half of the work. But the other thing which has been incredible is the for us, when we were starting out the company, the question was, well, if this is a bit of a supply-demand kind of a thing, which side do we begin with first? And because we were very focused that our job is to get 100 million people working in climate, in theory, we could start with employers first in climate and then work backwards from there. But what we really found is that, uh, at least when we started out, that was still an early, early market. Not enough to get small startup off the ground, get learn through the paces of actually working something out. So we instead went to where we saw the action. And the action was incredible quality of people essentially raising their hands, coming to our doorstep and saying, I have no idea what Terra is. But you seem to be offering me one path to get deeper into climate and figure out what to do with my skills. And this includes like some, like the first time that very first cohort, which had 20 people, had these incredible set of people that are still kind of the pioneers in so many different ways. And that is the beginning of the answer of my second part of my question, which is that 
we increasingly see what looks like essentially a movement. These are individuals who might be sitting at the top of Maslow's hierarchy in terms of self-actualization and saying, look, I really want to work in climate because I, that is the way I, I find my purpose and meaning. But that has now started to pull in other kinds of talent and other kinds of capital and other kinds of opportunities that is allowing people who are coming in with a lens of making the most of this economic opportunity. And that is what we need, which is that for this to truly become a social movement, to truly to be economy level transformational, you would need all of these things to start playing in. And I think we're already beginning to see that. So I feel very happy about when we started and the approach that we took. Uh, but of course, as a startup, the most important thing is to survive long enough to be able to realize all these different dreams. And that's always a struggle. Great. And Kamal, what about you? You're deeply involved in thinking about the the classes and the content and the experience. What are you learning from the students in terms of their needs and their interests? And, and also, what are you finding in terms of their level of interest? Two things, certainly, about the students. One is they're all very anxious, <laughs> which is actually not something we originally designed for. But more and more, we have to just acknowledge that like people who are really starting to think deeply about the climate crisis, like overwhelm and anxiety is definitely part of the story and we're building for that in our programs we didn't start we didn't start with that but we know that kind of whether you're learning or whether you're working to be effective you also just need to be feel more grounded and have tools and resources available to be able to process all of this scary stuff that you're you're learning that's a fascinating insight. So fascinating to think that the people that are paying attention to the largest uh, mobilization of capital resource talent that are paying attention to the biggest economic opportunity and the biggest opportunity for global collaboration, perhaps in human history, are also enter it with anxiety. I think you're absolutely right. And also, you know, just think of the context and the timing. So it's like, well, it's not only the climate crisis, but hey, there happens to be a pandemic and there happens to be a war in Europe. And so there's all these. And then the other thing is people are coming to us looking to transition their careers. And so that's another source of anxiety, right? I mean, you've got very, so all these different things layered in. But the other thing is also they are incredibly motivated people. So they are very actively, really sort of in this very seeking and doing mode. And that's really what the programs support. They kind of provide structuring and resources to enable this transition. But they're, they're very, very motivated and but everybody's on a different path. And so we, we found that people are on these different paths to work. And so one path is people are actively looking to switch jobs. They, they're looking, they're like, I'm working in this role. I, I want to use my same skills, but I want to switch from a non-climate company to a climate company. So they're actively looking to switch jobs. There's a, a good set of people who are entrepreneurs, whether in the you know commercial sector or nonprofit sector, but there's a, a group of people who are looking to start up things in the climate space. There's a group of people who are just looking to upskill in their existing job. So, hey, I work in finance. I need to make sense of this thing called climate. I'm not going to switch out of my job, but I really need to wrap my head around this topic. And then there's people who um, we've got sort of two smaller groups, I'd say. One who like aren't necessarily looking to switch their jobs, but they're looking to be activists or volunteer their time or be involved in like political campaigns, etc. And then the last group, usually so very small, kind of looking to go to graduate school and really sort of use our program as a way to sort of focus in. So people are all on all these different paths. And like our job is really to support people on all these different paths. And that, that's what we try to do in our programs. Great. Thanks. And Anshuman, before you described that Terra is starting with courses, but it's a wider range of experiences that you're imagining. How do you see 
Terra growing in the future to be able to help more people do work in the climate space? Jason, our focus is how do we get individuals transitioned into working in climate? And when we have tried to break down what a transition entails, it's essentially three things. There is learning, and learning is a very important component because by definition, the vast majority of people who will be working in climate are going to be new to the space and they'll need to reorient themselves, hopefully not with something that looks like a two-year-long master's program and lots of money and lots of full-time commitment, but something which is very practitioner-oriented, very focused on deploying yourself quickly. So learning is a fundamental need, but so is work opportunities. And work opportunities are not just jobs in climate, but also potentially the opportunity to volunteer, the opportunity to start projects, the opportunity to start companies. So that's the second part. But what stitches it all together is the community. If you have to think about, if you have to describe the one thing that Terra is ultimately trying to do, we're trying to build the world's largest community of people working in climate. We might be bootstrapping it through learning. Our outcomes might be jobs and startup focused. But ultimately, we live or die by the quality of this community and how collaborative it is. And we're already seeing tons of examples of that. So everything from individuals starting a company, finding a collaborator, finding investors in the community, to individuals going out and building a project that they get uh, others to pay attention to, or starting a a program of their own. A classic example is Sean Drost, who was part of our very first cohort, really got into hydrogen actually ended up creating the hydrogen program for Terra and now has ended up creating a hydrogen company that just got into YC. So that's an example of the entire journey that is all kind of getting connected back into the Terra network and community, picking up things in in learning through picking up things in startup land and so on. I think that is something that we just want to productize and do 100 times more of all across the world. Fantastic. And I mentioned earlier that uh, actually today I had the opportunity to, to speak with one of your former classmates, one of your alumni, who spoke to the value of that community, who he was able to, through the class, uh, identify someone that seemed like they had relevant skills for a venture he wanted to build, reached out, and it became his co-founder. And it was interesting as he asked his first question in meeting this new partner was, what's your aspiration? What do you want to do? And the response was, this is a long-term commitment. This is what I want to focus on. This is the problem that I want to pay attention to for the next 10 years. And I'm sure you're seeing signs of that. The other thing that your comments made me think about was that you mentioned that someone that was a student then went and created a program for Terra. Maybe one of you could speak to that opportunity is that if I understand that there's opportunities for anyone to create courses or experiences through Terra. We get so much value out of our community. And, you know, Anshuman mentioned this first cohort and we sort of joke that we, in some way or form, like 25% of this cohort works for us or maybe 30%. Even when it comes to instructors, instructors are sort of like um, kind of people who sort of guide students along their learning journeys. We often get them out of our own programs and we have definitely developed courses in partnership with folks who took one of our programs and then built out a program with us. So yeah, we, we definitely... We, we love it when that happens. And in fact, we, we try to encourage that whenever it's possible. And I think there's also a more expansive definition of learning that we are headed towards. Right? So far, if you go to Terra, what it looks like are these very structured cohort-based programs with in, in this very definitive week-by-week curriculum kind of a style. But in reality, that's not how we learn, and especially in a place like climate where it's not like you 
take a six week download of something and then you forget about it and then you're done for the rest of your life. Climate is evolving so quickly that uh, what you really need is continuous learning. And uh, if you look at the ed tech world, there have been many successful attempts at what continuous learning might look like. And one such example is simply uh, the fact that you could have micro experts taking things that look like masterclasses, right? So I might not be the renewable energy expert or the, or the long storage expert, but I have actually deployed hydrogen infrastructure a couple of times in a certain geography. I have a deep expertise that is actually extremely valued by the right kind of people, not by everyone who's new to climate, but for people who are consciously about to take their next step on renewable energy infrastructure. For them, this expertise is really important. And so therefore, the format that we are kind of actively innovating around is how do you take this micro expertise and allow that to be distributed to as large an audience as possible inside the Terra universe? Great. Maybe just to double click and just understand the experiences that you're offering a little bit better is two stand out for me. One is the LFA course, and maybe one of you can describe that. And then there's something else called, I think it's farm school. The learning for action program, it's at, was actually our first program. And the sort of the, the inside story is like, I asked Anshuman, you know, when we, were, when we were all designing it together, I was like, Anshuman, who's the audience? And Anshuman was like, I'm the audience, design for me. <laughs> Even though he actually knew a lot by then. But um, he, so I was like, huh, I guess, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to think of Anshuman as my audience. The idea is, was really like, the idea of LFA is that if you are a skilled professional trying to figure out how to deploy your skill in climate change, this is the program for you. It's an intensive program. It's what we call our boot camp. The goal of the program is really to get you to the other side using your existing skills. And so the set of different things, there's this thing that we call classes, which is just self-serve content for you to get kind of really up the ramp on like all kind of the climate topics. There are these guest talks. Um, there's a mentorship program where you can speak to practitioners in the field one-on-one. -on -one. There's lab groups, which are just discussion groups. There's a bunch of different things going on in the course and there are assignments and all the assignments are designed around getting you, you know, one step further on this path so that by the end of it, you have something that looks like a work plan. It's called a work plan. And you kind of, you've identified very specifically like what you want to work on, what companies you want to work, work, you know, even the types of companies you want to work with. You've made some connections in those spaces and you're basically on your way and plenty of people actually find jobs, if not right by the end of the program and soon after. So we also support them on the career side quite a bit. So like even things like everything from like, how do you polish up your CV to like, how do you sort of speak effectively in an interview in this space, those kinds of skills as well. Uh, so that's sort of LFA, you know, and, and I would say, even though there's all this stuff, which is say content, et cetera, expertise, the heart and soul of it is the community. So there's a lot of self-organizing that goes on in this community. There's a lot of stuff that we support and it's just like Anshuman and you both mentioned just these like serendipitous connections that lead to all kinds of interesting things. And we just make sure that there's a lot of space and opportunity for those connections to happen. By typical startup received wisdom, Terra should not be doing anything that even remotely looks like the farm school. But here we are. And it's a lovely, lovely program. So I think I would say we our ethos has always been first do things that don't scale, not because doing unscalable things is great by itself, but because it's a classic mistake is to try to scale things that are not worth scaling. And I think that's how we built our cohort-based programs as well. The Farm School started because one of our amazing employees, Lainey, who used to be the academic director for the Learning for Action program, who is passionate about uh, regenerative farming, 
really thought that uh, this was something that she wanted to put her heart and minds to because it was important that not everything remain in the world of bits there are some really important atoms part of it and you could argue in climate that's probably more important than bits alone and one of them is this experience of actually being connected to the land and understanding the nuances of the ecosystem that where our food comes from and not in some industrial scale but in an actual farm scale setting so what we've done is that we have this uh, program where you get to spend 2 weeks on one of the farms that we have so we have about four farms right now three in the US one in Italy and a few more coming in India hopefully by the end of the year and you and these are all farms which have fantastic regenerative farming practices of all different kinds which are very very connected to the specific local context and the community that they are situated in so farm 1 will have different slightly different practices from farm 2 and so on and you get to spend you actually it's residential for those two weeks you spend the morning working with the farmers doing chores that you do if you're if you're a farm hand and then in the afternoon there is this learning session where you pick up what you saw and try to connect it to the theory of what uh, uh, regenerative farming is all about so that's what this farm school is i had a good opportunity to take my kids to it for something which is one of the farms just close by and jason it's transformational it changes the way you see things right it just kind of settles you down and at a very different level altogether and you'll see like the the funny thing is that we see we get two kinds of people who come to be specifically in this program there's one set who are people like me who come from the world of say technology and now have the desire to connect back to the roots in some way and the end outcome could be something as small as starting a community garden to potentially giving up everything and buying a piece of land and and doing these practices on the on that land but the other segment of people who show up for these farms are people who have been working at say multilateral institutions determining like food and ag policy for countries uh doing financial aid development aid etc cetera, etc cetera, but always in that world of abstraction and the word the phrase they specifically use is that i wanted to get my hands dirty i actually wanted to feel the soil in my hands to connect to what i really do on a day to day basis when i'm in my workplace and to me that is a, such a powerful experiential part of uh, of connecting with climate and climate solutions that i just want us to be doing more of that i have no idea how we'll do it but i just want us to do more of this yeah i think the potential is like certainly just beyond farming because there, there's just so much you know this whole world of nature based solutions that we talk about and being in nature is a key part of that sort of that part of learning experience so for example my first boss who actually started a solar company has now started a rewilding company in england and he's got this piece of land in scotland and so i can see the same kind of model being so applicable to something like say the rewilding movement in europe where he's trying to build a business and that could be a site of learning as well for other people who want to figure this out as well so i think there's lots of potential here Fantastic. You'll sign me up definitely for farm school. If you get forest school, I would love to spend some time in forest uh, and keep going. That sounds really exciting and I love the tangibility of it. I have a question though. As we think about what you've described as a transition to climate work and as Terra is playing a role in helping people transition to climate work, we're also faced with the reality that many jobs are just becoming climate relevant or climate adjacent you talked about marketers needing to think about climate in new ways what about finance people not just climate finance but any cfo needs to be thinking about risks and reporting uh, and opportunities related to climate and so as we think about this i'm curious is it a real physical move from job and role 
to the climate space, or is it more of a mindset shift? And relatedly, if climate work is becoming ubiquitous, then what's the role for Terra? I think uh, uh, Jamie Alexander from Project Drawdown says this uh, very eloquently, which is she says, every job is a climate job. I think what she means by that and what we mean by that is we all live in a physical world, right? That is the ultimate reality of where we exist. That physical world is transforming at an unprecedented scale and not in a good direction. And that's why you have someone like BlackRock's Larry Fink essentially waking up one day and saying, look, I am the universal insurer of all physical assets in the world. All physical assets in the world are eventually, not eventually, in the next 10, 20, 30 years are going to be massively impacted by climate. Therefore, the primary lens that BlackRock as the biggest asset manager in the world needs to have is climate risk, which means that wherever you are on Wall Street, you could be running a fixed income portfolio, you could be making out mortgage-backed securities, et cetera, et cetera. You need to start understanding very, very quickly for no other reason except competitive reason, right? To stay ahead of the game, what kind of climate risk and opportunities are baked into what you already do right now? Because what you do is connected to the physical world in a real sense. So that's one kind of part of it. The other part of it is that uh, if you look at all the jobs that are being created, so roughly it seems like the green economy, if you want to call it, is at about 5 to 7% of the world's GDP right now. It is growing at a kegger, which resembles what internet looked like back in 2001, right? which means that if you simply think about where we are headed, within 10 to 20 years, the climate economy will have a scale which is comparable to the internet economy. And back in the day, back in 2000, if we used to think about the internet economy, we used to think about of this as this kind of a separate, cute sector, which had all kinds of interesting things going on, but nothing to do with the rest of us. Right? And we used to think, well, Netflix is competing with Blockbuster. And here we are 20 years later, Netflix is competing with Hollywood. It is Hollywood. Or it will be Hollywood soon. So it is fundamentally changing the nature of everything that we do. Just like internet is now the bedrock of politics, climate will be the bedrock of politics, whether we like it or not. That's how fast this thing is transforming. So in that sense, to me, it feels like even if every job is not a climate job, depending on your definition of that, your lack of awareness of how climate impacts what you do is going to be a competitive threat to your career, even if you want to stay out of that. So therefore, in that sense, to me, it feels like this is going to be ubiquitous in, in, in one way. And then to your other question, which is that, will that put us out of a job? First of all, if that happens, that to me, that'll be a fantastic outcome, right? That's first and foremost. But uh, second, the reality is that as this world gets significantly more interconnected, learning opportunities, jobs, and so on and on, you would need things that, that reduce the friction for all of this coordination to happen. And anybody who builds a mousetrap that reduces that friction will have an economic reason to be alive, an economic reason to be successful. And we hope to be one amongst many, to be honest, of people or companies which are reducing that friction in some way. I feel like even when we get to the scale of like 25 to 50% of the world's economy on track, we need continuous learning. So, I mean, I'm noticing as I update, say, the LFA class materials, how fast this field is changing. And I never stop learning. Like things are changing all the time. New technologies are coming online. Technologies that yesterday were complete pipe dreams, like even hydrogen, the transformation in hydrogen is just stunning to me. Like we're talking about scales of installations going in that two years ago were entirely theoretical and like half the people even in clean energy were like, 
What are you smoking? So there's these tremendous fast transitions going on and you need to be constantly updating your knowledge just to keep up. So I think, you know, even when we get hundreds of millions of people working on this, like we're all going to be still innovating and learning just like technology continues to do, do as well, like the, the world of tech. I love that. I mean, in many ways, climate knowledge is the new table stakes, just as digital knowledge became table stakes uh, 20 years ago. And it needs to be a lifelong learning journey that you need to be continuously learning as climate and climate opportunities change all around us. Kamal, as someone that has climate science expertise, but is also uh, really helping build this unprecedented movement of people and talent moving to the climate space. I have a sense that what you're most optimistic about or excited about is the talent that's coming in, and that probably gives you a lot of a lot of hope. What is it that keeps you up at night? What are you most concerned about? Scale, actually, yeah. So I you know how do we do this at scale? We're headed in the right direction. We have the right ideas and the right sort of tools and especially the right people. But definitely sort of what is, you know, this feels very urgent. And so it's not like, hey, how do we get to this scale in 2050? It's like in the next three years, like how do we really get this to scale? And that's really, I think, a lot of what uh, what we think about. We think about and, uh, you know, the other thing that I, I think sort of definitely you you feel like a very personal responsibilities. I mean, I have a child who's 11 and I'm like, well, you know, and Anshuman mentioned this too, like thinking about your kids and I'm like, well, what is this world that he's going to grow up in? And so kind of what am I doing every day that's making sure that we're not sort of so severely disadvantaging our own children, you know, as, as they grow older. I don't know about you, but my 11-year-old constantly reminds me of my carbon footprint for different choices that we're making. And that is incredibly inspiring and does give me hope. Invested in Climate, this podcast focuses on really helping people do more to address climate change through five categories of action, work, investments, learning, lifestyle, and activism. And our conversation today is really focused mostly on work and on learning and something that you are both dedicating countless hours to. Are you finding time and finding ways to contribute on on any of those other categories of action? I think I have a mixed bag on lifestyle because, you know, I, I feel like on the, you know, I drive an electric car and like, I you know, eat healthy. But then one thing I have a really hard time giving up on is flying because my family lives in India. So it's, it's not it's not something I'm even willing to compromise on. So I'm very conscious that like, as far as my carbon footprint grows, just that alone offsets like, <laughs> you know, all, everything else that I'm doing. So I, I guess I, I like to be honest about that because I think people can feel very guilty around these things. And like every one of us is making these personal choices based on like what we can and can't do. Uh, and that's why I think it's important to operate at different levels. And so, yes, in my personal life, there's only so much I can do. But in my professional life, hopefully, I'm doing things that eventually will also like help solve aviation, or for example. Double-clicking and, and going deeper on the investment category as well, Jason. So part of it is that it's fantastic to see that quite a few of those interesting companies actually come out of Terra itself, which gives me, as if, you, if, I, if I put on my investor hat, this proprietary edge, so to speak to get in front of uh, the kind of founders that you've met already. So I've made uh, four investments into Terra alums already. On top of that, I am invested in a bunch of uh, climate-related companies in India, where I think we need a lot more of that action uh, compared to what's happening in the US right now. Basically, tells you that my portfolio strategy is completely messed up. 
like literally am i like 80% of my portfolio is somehow connected to climate so this better work so on activism you know i think it's extremely important i mean the interesting thing is living when i live in i live in a state that's like pretty far along and so sometimes like i feel like well i don't have a man thing to go after <laughs> like my representatives are like kind of the at the cutting edge of like pushing for climate policy in the federal government but i think there's a lot you can do sort of at at the local level so for example people don't think of this as activism but many cities city governments are really sort of on the front lines of this climate battle and there might be ways in which you can just support your city government if you have skills and you have a little bit of time on the side because they are very short on resources they especially need help with like analysis and people with tech skills can be very helpful and so certainly i think city city government is an interesting place where because we they are on the front lines of like fighting the, literally dealing with the crisis you know dealing with the floods dealing with whatever like the wildfires etc they are much more aware and plugged in but they can often be short of resources and so this is another space for people to think about thanks for that absolutely and that resonates uh, and we earlier this week did a recording with Sean Kasofsky from the climate advocacy lab made the same point that you can get involved locally and have a big difference in either city or state politics as an outsider what is the most surprising thing i have seen about the climate space and to me that outsider's mindset is actually so critical and it's so easy to lose that once you're like x months into it and i still therefore i took a note of it back then when i was kind of coming in and the most interesting thing for me was it felt like even inside the climate world there were these camps there were these very different ways at looking at climate solutions so everything from the technology camp which believes that is the silver bullet and once we saw that you know nuclear fusion we'll we'll be done with the climate crisis or the economics camp which believes that oh if we just did carbon tax in the right way and everything else shall follow or the naomi klein world which is if we just did global north global south reparations we shall be done and so on and the reality is that all of the above is true and none of them are kind of an end like uh, are kind of a silver bullet by themselves and i think that often gets lost once you're in the weeds quite a bit and honestly part of the reason for me to work on something as horizontal as talent was for that reason which was i don't want to be solving for methane emissions alone because well that is one of the many great solutions out there right so can i just instead operate at the talent level and get incredible people to be working in whatever solution resonates the most with them because we need by god we need all of them right now that's how far along we are in this crisis i want to pick up on exactly what anshuman said because actually i think i was uh, very much in one of these camps and the, and it was sort of represented i think a little bit because of the kind of training i got which was like hoping and waiting for policy to do the right thing so thinking if we only did enough activism and like just did all the analysis and got all the numbers right and just put it in front of the right people we're going to shift policy and that's you know these international negotiations are going to get us somewhere these, these governments are going to like especially at the federal level like take action and i got to this point where i i just realized okay this is just not the right way to think about it and actually what we need is the groundswell like we need everybody just applying their skills for me to sit here thinking i know this is like exactly what anshuman said this is the answer that is the answer like nobody none of us know all we know is we just need everybody working on this problem and that is the thing we know is going to get us to the right place not picking the you know saying this is right this is wrong i mean maybe at a very high level certain things obviously are like not good for climate we shouldn't be doing them but otherwise i think the focus should just be on 
getting everybody working on this. And then we will definitely get there um, as opposed to waiting for one of these levers to, you know, solve it all for us. Let's turn to your recommendations for our listeners. What are a few of the most tangible things that you recommend that anybody listening to this consider doing or start doing? So there is this uh, ladder of climate action, of personal climate action, in my opinion, that uh, one needs to climb on. When you start standing at the, at the bottom rung of that ladder, you have to first understand and settle within yourself that this is a lifelong journey, right? You won't get there on day one, you won't get there on day 100, you won't get there on even year 10. So it's okay to take your time and kind of uh, and walk those steps. I think the first is, of course, to look at kind of within your own, uh, your, your, your personal life and kind of your local ecosystem to see what are the obvious things that you can do. And I say this a bit of a bit of trepidation because that's where 90% of quote unquote activated people stop. So you stop using single use plastic bags and you take a jute bag instead, you pat yourself on the back and move on with life. To me, this is just the first step. And it's a first step, not in a personal transformation. It's a first step in what I call political transformation, because ultimately climate is politics. The way climate gets solved is when it becomes something that we care about as voters, as economic stakeholders in an economy, and find the right kind of leaders who help us support that and build that out. Now, what can happen between now and there? So first of all, you already have your personal life and you have your voting privileges to potentially start acting on. But the next step is to do an audit of your skills, starting with the belief that every single skill would be required for solving for climate because climate is everything that we do on this planet. So take an audit of your skills and then try to map it to a solution that you find resonance with. And that solution could be big, small, etc. You could go to someone like a project drawdown and take a very analytical look at what solutions really matter and go down that path. You can come to one of our Terra programs and build another framework. But the idea is to start making this map between your skill and a solution, and then start building your first network and potentially your first project that goes down that path. So that's how you get started. And by the time you're like this far in, in X number of months, or maybe even X number of years, you're in. You are not, there's no looking back because you realize what you're working on gives so much meaning to what you do and to, to the skills that you have been kind of blessed with that there'll be very few people who will pull back from that and say, oh, let me go back to my hedge fund and make another few basis points on everything that I trade on. Find your community because doing it alone feels very hard. And the moment you're in community and you're in a community of support and many people just, there's two ways. I mean, now luckily because we've got online communities. I mean, we are one of them you can join an online community, but often people just start like where they live and around them. I mean, I think about like my own journey and it's like, well, I, I actually, my house was like around the corner from this huge pile of garbage that at that time there wasn't in India, we, we hadn't sort of cracked like good municipal garbage collection. And I used to look at this and think, mm, I don't like this. Like what, you know, that's sort of like the start of my journey was like, what was right there in my neighborhood? What could I do? And I ended up joining a little like nonprofit, like a little volunteer group. That was in my community, uh, but joining that group was the thing that allowed me then to start thinking about what does action mean in this space. So find that community, whether it's in your local space or whether it's um, online. 
Fantastic. Let's hear a little bit more about what each of you are doing to stay energized and inspired, especially with you know being so deep in this space, which can be exhausting and being in the journey of entrepreneurs, which of course can be lonely as well. Well, certainly getting out into nature. I don't know it enough, but I'm, I'm lucky that right now I live in Hawaii. So I just going for a walk feels very energizing. And um, I love my team. I love my coworkers. And that really fills me with joy and, you know, gives me feeling really good. Uh, this sounds crazy, I know, because like we're in this crazy climate crisis, but I'm quite excited by some of the transitions that I see happening. Because, you know, I, I really sort of do stay up to date on the on what's going on and especially in energy and no question there's still big challenges and especially if you think about it as a global scale it feels overwhelming but some of the transitions are happening at this amazing pace i mean like you know say solar took 20 years to get to the stage and i I feel like other things like batteries and um, evs are like moving at like much faster like i would say like market the markets are getting transformed like at a much faster rate costs are coming down markets are going and so I see some real promising signs that also just keep me feeling motivated. Although I do think one has to, you know, we need way more people. We need more resources, more money, et cetera. But certain things are at least beginning to head in the right direction. So we have a Slack channel where called uh, Student Notes or something like that, where uh, our instructors who interact with each of their groups uh, and individual students on a regular basis and post their graduation as well, once again, out there working on climate and so on. We're lucky that they managed to take these great notes and these great notes come back. It's kind of this uh, 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 indirect way for me to kind of stay connected to individual stories. To me, that is the most awesome thing. That if I have to kind of, if I'm feeling really down, there's something else that's happened in, in the Biden administration or COP26 did not turn out to be what it turned out to be. I just go open those student notes and realize that, well, every one of these lives are changing in some very meaningful ways that are deeply meaningful to those individuals. And therefore, they are to me because we played a small part in that. And that, to me, is fantastic. And and I must say, before I kind of wrap up on this, which is that, to me, it feels like, oh, my God, I've discovered a life hack. If you work in climate, especially in 2022, you have this combination of working on something that is meaningful to the world, given the amount of economic opportunity that's getting created, potentially something that you can get paid well for. It's something that uh, if you find the right kind of skill mapping, you'll actually be good at. And most importantly, it is the one job where my kids are actually proud of what I do. And that last one is kind of the clincher. If that doesn't sell you, I don't know what will. Thank you for being here with us on Invested in Climate and best of luck with all that you're doing. We'll be watching and trying to stay close to it. Thanks again. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again.